I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. For decades, advocates for school finance reform have focused their attention on a single statistic, the average amount school districts spend on each of their students. That figure, however, can mask large disparities in what districts spend across each of their schools, disparities concealed by how districts typically manage and report on their budgets. That situation is poised to change, thanks to what my guest today calls a sleeper provision of the Federal Every Student Succeeds Act. As of December 2018, school districts nationwide will be required to report exactly what they spend on each of their schools. Will that information kick off a new wave of school finance research and reform? Could it become one of the law's most important legacies? I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and I'm joined today by Marguerite Rosa, a research professor at Georgetown University and director of its Edunomics Lab. She's the author of the influential 2010 book, Educational Economics, Where Do School Funds Go?, and of a recent post on the Ednext blog entitled, With New Data, School Finance is Coming Out of the Dark Ages. Marguerite, welcome to the Ednext podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So there's a lot I want to cover where the idea for this new requirement came from, the ways in which the information it generates can be used, and what possibly could go wrong. But I wonder if you could start out just by telling us exactly what it says. Sure. The requirement is, is actually written into the ESSA law, so it's not, um, it's not you know, sort of on hold because of the regulations being um, gone. It's in the law, and it says that SEAs will need to report um, per pupil expenditures by school. And um, that in and of itself is and um, really sort of earth-shattering because they haven't been doing that. We've been reporting school expenditures by district, but now this information will be need to be reported by school. So the spending will have to be broken out by school. It also says that it will need to include um, the actual personnel costs. So an averaging of salaries cannot be done, um, and that those expenditures should be broken out by revenue source. So, um, and that they need to be reported on school uh, district level report cards for each school. And that's the same place where we also report outcomes. So we'll now be able to pair spending by school with student outcomes. Um, what it doesn't say is that you need to send the data to the Department of Ed. That's not in there. Um, it just says this needs to be publicly available. And that's kind of an important distinction because it means it's not a compliance thing that you have to send the data to the Department of Ed and they will review it and tell you whether or not you're spending your money correctly. That's not how this is structured. This is, is simply a transparency move. And so it uh, is binding as of the 2017-18 school year, as I understand it, and that uh, the information is to be available by December 2018, that's actually a much faster cycle than we've ever had information on school spending at any level in the U.S. before. Um, and I, it's, it's going to be a race for many states to meet that deadline. So that means that starting the, you know, the school year that commences this summer, this fall, the, the data need to be tracked, the expenditure data need to be tracked by school so that it can be available to report at the end of the school year in that following December. 
Now, even absent this new requirement, you've been working for more than a decade, I think, to help school districts do a better job of tracking their spending. And that includes by producing school level spending figures. How did you get into that work and, and what have we learned from it? Well, I, it, it has been more than a decade, for sure, because um, the the small children I had when I started working on this are now in college. But the um, the what we we started doing initially was, you know, we're wondering how in these particularly big city districts how the resources got divvied up inside the district across the schools. And I started with a freedom of information request for um, a handful of districts just asking, wondering if there were patterns there that seemed to be concerning. And and there were. It seemed that a lot of these big urban districts were um, sending um, more dollars to their relatively more affluent schools and doing so um, sometimes uh, as part of higher salaries. So those schools had more senior teachers. And, and the senior teachers drew down higher salaries, and, and that drove more dollars to that one side of the district. And sometimes it was a bunch of other stuff, like they had more programs for um, more jazz music programs, or they may sometimes had smaller schools, which were more resource-intensive, or magnet schools, or things like that. And not always, but often we found these patterns that seemed to not be random. And that kicked off the analysis, and we've actually helped um, quite a few districts um, try to address some of these um, uneven spending patterns, and many of them are doing it um, in response to some of this work or other similar work that's come out through ERS and other places, and have adopted things like student-based allocation models, or otherwise known as weighted student funding, and are now working hard to try to deploy funds in big city districts in ways that um, uh, create more balanced picture across their schools. So in some places, this information does exist already and is being used, but obviously not everywhere. And I think your work was very instrumental in uh, sort of making the case for this requirement in the new federal law. How do you now envision the information that is produced as a result of the requirement being used? Why are you excited about it? Well, I'm I'm really excited um, about it because of the opportunity or the implications that it could have for school improvement. Um, and there's the equity part of this. We can finally see where the money is going, and it's, it's been really hidden. We've not been able to say, you know, at Lakeview Elementary, we spend this many dollars, and across the street at this other school, you know, we spend more or less. We just haven't been able to know that, which is surprising given we can know the student outcomes. We've been measuring the student outcomes by school um, for some time. And so to say that we're going to either hold schools accountable or measure student outcomes in some sort of way, and that's an important indicator, but we can't quantify the inputs or the costs or the money that goes into that school has been, you know, kind of a missing side of the equation there. So the, now that we'll be able to match spending with outcomes, we'll be able to look at this from a productivity lens or from a school improvement lens. And that's where we'll be able to start um, uh, uh, using the data to help schools actually leverage their dollars to get greater outcomes. And that's what I think is really the upside in all of this. So, for example, if we find that one school is producing very good outcomes very efficiently, then we might begin to be able to start asking the question of what exactly they're doing to get those results. We, we can, and I, I, I think of that as different because we've sort of pretended there were no school effects in, in all of this, that, you know, we could um, measure the qualifications of the teacher or uh, measure the class size or 
measure other sorts of um, inputs into schooling and say that that must be correlated with schooling outcomes. But there is something somewhat immeasurable going on inside a school building um, that contributes to its outcomes. And we sort of ignored it instead of measuring it and leveraging it. And I, I you know, I asked these two questions to um, uh, to some of the audiences I talk to all the time, and, and intuitively people understand it. So the first question goes like this. Um, if two schools can spend, uh, with roughly the same mix of students, can spend the same amount of money and get different outcomes, true or false? And um, they'll say, well, well, of course that's true. And sometimes they'll say it's, it depends on how they spend the money, at which point I'll ask the second true-false question. Two schools, roughly same amount, mix of students, can spend the same amount of money in the same way and get different outcomes. And, and then they pause and say, well, that's true, too, because um, there's a whole bunch of human beings inside the school, and all that human beings and their interactions, and um, those matter in schooling. It turns out they matter a lot. It's not a factory. You put the equipment in the same place, and, you know, you'll get the same production. It, it's really a schooling is a human process. And, um, and if you accept that, then you realize that the school is a, an incredibly important unit, and we should measure and expect the most from schools. We should say, you know, do the most with you have. Leverage your school effects to try to get the greatest outcome possible. But schools can't do that unless they're sort of benchmarked on that, like how much money are you getting and what are your outcomes? How do they compare to your peers? You know, have you done everything you can for the mix of students that you have with the resources that you have? And that's what I think the, the opportunity is here. Now, your blog post focuses mainly on the potential of this new information, but it seems to me that some additional work may be needed to ensure that the information generated by the requirement is actually reliable. Um, many school districts lack the capacity to generate school-level spending information without the support of researchers like you or other organizations that are in this business. And even if they did, there's some legitimate technical questions about things like how to allocate district-wide costs to specific schools. Are you concerned about sort of whether we're actually going to get a uh, signal as opposed to just a bunch of noise in what districts are actually putting on school report cards? Uh, well, remember, the requirement is for the states. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a network of more than 20 states that, that is meeting twice a month, um, uh, via phone and webinar and, and working on this issue. And so we're learning a lot from, from their attempts to meet the requirement. And some of them, believe it or not, already have this data and actually already have it in an electronic file. And um, I would say, you know, that the step for them is, is pulling out the right numbers and posting the right numbers in some sort of consistent way. And in that case, you're right. The state is going to make some decisions. Um, but you can imagine that in one... Um, school district, the reading coaches are are, um, are coded to central office, and another, the reading coaches are coded to the school. And so, if you if all you reported, which is if all you reported was what is coded to the school level, you would get these kind of apples to oranges comparisons that don't help you with anything. Um, so the states that we're, we've been talking to are are going to report the full sum of what's spent at the. Um, at, at, at the district and allocate it out to schools. So if there's money coded to the district, 
that'll get divided up in some sort of way and assigned to each school proportionately, maybe per pupil or pupil type or things like that. And so a school should be able to see, here's how much money that we uh, spent in school-level things, and then here's our share of the central office stuff. And we certainly anticipate that some schools will be frustrated when they see their share and say, we don't use any of that stuff. Why are you assigning those costs to us? We also think that conversation is healthy. So um, if schools bristle and see that the district assigned them, you know, an extra five or $6,000 worth of, of their share of expenses they don't use, well, that, then that's great. We think that, that uh, school districts ought to sort of justify their central um, spending. And we anticipate plenty of that will be justifiable, right? The superintendent's salary and the, the special ed overhead and things like that. Um, but that bottom-up pressure on the district to get the most for those dollars, too, um, is a good thing. So there, it will be complicated for states to do some of this, and we imagine that they'll um, change their methodology over the first few years as they uh, listen from to their schools and districts about what matters. But as long as they're capturing all the dollars in there somewhere, then we think there would be a good chance for apples-to-apples comparisons. Um, and interestingly, among the states in our network, there's a really good appetite for coming up with some common reporting standards where states work together so that what gets reported in North North Dakota can be compared to what gets reported in Maine. And, and if we can get there, then that's when schools can really start to learn from the broader database um, uh, of numbers. So if you're a rural school in one state with maybe a lot of uh, uh, non-English speaking students, you can query the system and say, where are there other schools and districts like mine somewhere in this country, and how do their spending and outcomes compare to mine? And really narrow that to same size and same type of students, and that's when you can say, I want to benchmark my numbers against theirs and see if I can improve or see if, if the choices I've made have really worked. So this new requirement obviously focuses on making information about spending more transparent. An alternative or perhaps complementary approach might have been not just to require transparency, but also to require that districts equalize spending levels across schools. And in fact, the Obama administration pushed to do uh, basically just that before leaving office, issuing draft regulations that would have required that schools receiving federal funds for disadvantaged students receive roughly the same amount or more as, as those schools that, that don't. The administration ultimately withdrew that regulation after receiving considerable pushback from the field. Was that a setback in your view for sort of the prospect of calling attention to school-level differences in spending, or was that a good outcome? I think that was probably the right outcome at the right time. I mean, in some ways, school districts, most school districts haven't paid a lot of attention to this. And to um, start with a, a requirement that the money get kind of carved up in a particular way um, would have, um, you know, for not certainly would have made a lot of districts angry, right? Um, but it would have... Um, kind of reinforced, I think, the compliance end of this, which is 
um, where school districts and principals say they're doing things because they have to, not because they think they're going to get good outcomes for their kids. And if we start by saying, how can you, how can you get the best outcomes for your kids, and you're a school that's um, being shortchanged financially, we anticipate if you have that data, you'll turn to your district and say, hey, I don't, I don't get as much money as my, my peer schools in my district, and I don't think that's fair. And that kind of bottom-up um, pressure hopefully will get to that same equity outcome, um, but do so in a way that um, appreciates the local context. And I think, you know, there are school districts all around the country that um, that should have that conversation. Um, but if you're doing it in the context of how can I get the best outcomes for my students versus how can I make the, meet this federal requirement and, you know, darn those guys for making me do this, you, you likely get a different outcome. Now, do you see a risk at all that this effort to increase transparency under ESSA could have any unintended consequences? For example, one thing that seems possible to me is that it could actually make it harder for districts who want to do so to spend more on schools that have a higher share of disadvantaged students. Or perhaps more plausibly, it could keep them from preserving special programs in some schools that might be important for keeping middle-class families in the district. Are you concerned that sort of uh, transparency might not always be a good thing when it comes to some of these decisions? No. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, you know, rugged transparency. In the end, if there are trade-offs to be made, we should make them with eyes open, not with eyes closed. So I, I don't think in the end really good policy comes from keeping a whole lot of people in the dark. Um, so it, it, it's true that, um, you know, some people may not like the conversations that emerge, but if there is good justifications for spending extra dollars on one school, then make the justification and help those around you um, understand it. I think that's, that's, uh, that's fair. So I, I don't. I mean, I think, um, you know, that we have heard a, a lot of concerns that, um, you know, some schools spend more because their salaries are higher for the teachers there, and, and, the, and, and making these data public will, you know, make some people mad and, and the worry that teachers will be reassigned. And I think, for the record, reassigning teachers on the basis of their salary is a bad idea. Um, but I think that that doesn't have to be the only solution there. And over time, you know, different changes in, in um, teacher pay schemes and changes in class size norms and changes in things like that are other ways to kind of address um, uh, spending differences between schools. And allowing those to evolve over time, I think, is, is a good idea. So, no, there's no part of me that thinks the best model is to keep, keep the data under the hood and not let anyone look at it. Well, we now have a uh, good opportunity to find out. Right. My guest today has been Marguerite Rosa, director of the Edunomics Lab and research professor at Georgetown University. Her blog post with new data, School Finance is Coming Out of the Dark Ages, is available now at educationnext.org. Marguerite, thanks for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.